0: APOMADA's programmes and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at apomada.org
1: forward slash contribute. Thank you so much. Good morning. It's so good to be together on this beautiful fall morning. It's still fall in Austin, and I'm putting our my Zoom screen so I can see everyone. Um, you can see a little bit of the Zendo this morning. Such beautiful sunlight. Um, today's talk is. Um, entitled Make the World Your Altar. And so um, it'll be a brief talk, and then we actually will, um, those of us here in the Zendo will take care of a few of the altars and become familiar with them. And um, I'll be inviting um Ann and Kim to assist me in leading that since um, you guys have such wonderful experience and I cannot clone myself. And we have so many altars here. And for those of you um, in the clouds, Endo, um, you'll have time to um, either create or update um, your altar at home, and then also have some time to share with one another. I'll try not to rustle my paper. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, And so we'll begin. The etymology of the word altar. always want to start from the beginning, is Latin for to burn on a high place and as in sacrifice. And so um, clearly the history of the word is so much about um, sacrificing a goat or something of value um, to prove one's commitment to the gods, right, to get the gods' favor. But in a non-theistic religion, who do we make offerings to? Deborah Sato Martin, um, a teacher at Zen West in Eugene, Oregon says, I cannot tell you if there are beings who receive the scent of incense and come to our aid. We don't know, but I can tell you that to live in the light of an altar is a transformative act for the one who makes the approach and so that's really what we're doing today is making the approach and being available for the transformative act of interacting with the altar. In my email that I sent out, I mentioned Trudy Johnston, the newly entrusted teacher um, in the United Kingdom. And in um, the talk that she gave with this same title, um, that was inspired by something I offered, um she shared something that i want to share with you because it's so beautiful and it strikes me as so very british that in her talk about altars um last summer she shared that she grew up believing in fairies and that she would make altars in the forms of little clothes that she made for the fairies and laid out for them and in the morning this is so magical. In the morning, she would find a note of thanks mm-hmm. with, as she said, a bunch of kisses on it. So I don't know if that means X's or what exactly, but um, a note of thanks and and gratitude and love um, from the fairies. And then later she made moss gardens in her windowsill. By comparison, growing up in Oklahoma in an apartment, um, the closest thing to an altar I made was a complicated rambling house for my Barbies, which I made from Kleenex boxes, cereal boxes, cardboard oatmeal containers, that's the elevator that takes Barbie up to the next level, and anything else I could find. I spent more time arranging the space than I did actually playing with the dolls. And so we might take a moment to consider what alters have you made and returned to? As a child, when we're sort of naturally um, interacting with the world in somewhat magical and creative ways, or later, um, some altars that came to mind that might have been altars for you or me is your makeup mirror. That was definitely an altar of mine at a certain point or your cubicle at work, um, your workbench, tools, kitchen sink, or your car dashboard. The first home altar that I ever saw, I was visiting a friend's mother, and she was Japanese, and we were picking up a kitten. Um, Her cat had had kittens. And so I got to have one. And the kittens were in her bedroom. And so I noticed in her bedroom on the chest of drawers were two black and white photographs and small bowls of water in front of them and also soy sauce and some flowers, and I want to say even maybe some chopsticks and I asked her about it, and she said the the people in the photographs um, were her mother and father and that she made a daily offering to them. This seemed both wacky and incredibly beautiful and my parents were still alive so i couldn't really relate to um, her keeping the relationship with her parents alive through this offering but there was something about the care of the space um, that seemed very important and that was gosh in my 20s so what is an altar What makes it different from a decorative arrangement of pretty things. For one, an altar is intentional. Each item or detail has a purpose and expresses our aspiration. It has personal meaning meaning to us. And so the altar and the zendo may not have personal meaning for us individually, though it might, um, but it definitely has meaning for the sangha. A Zen altar can be in the Zendo or at home. And at home, you might even have more than one altar. Um, You might have an altar for ancestors, and um, you might have a personal altar. If you're a family or a couple, you might have um, a family or couple altar. And then also um, you might uh, create an altar when someone um, you care about um, dies. Um, We definitely had a dog altar in our living room for a number of months after the passing of our 15-year-old dog, Reggie. An altar at home might be in a private part of your house. Um, Sometimes people have their altars in their closet, um, or it may be in in plain sight. Most of all, our altar reminds us of our commitment to sitting practice, and our vow to free all beings, including ourselves. And it inspires us. What do you put on an altar? The offerings represent the four elements, flowers for earth, candle for fire, water offering, a bowl of water, water, and incense, an incense smoke for air. The Tibetan teacher Tibton children says or sort of reminds us that these offerings are based on ancient Indian culture and the idea that when you had a guest come to your house in ancient India, which also could kind of be like Austin in the summer, um, it's very hot and dusty, and you offer your guest first something to drink and then um, maybe some fragrance, maybe some food um etc and so there's also this idea of the altar being um a place of invitation or preparation for the arrival of a guest which kind of makes me think of that roomy poem the guest house and in thinking about altars i also encountered this quote by Lama willa miller and it's about candlelight so i'll briefly say that um I personally believe that candlelight makes everything better. And in fact, when we had a newborn in our house who cried for hours at dinnertime, candlelight was the only way that we got through it is sitting at the table with a candle, rocking that little baby in his little rocky thing. Um, Lama Willa Miller says, when you meditate, you light up the world with your aspirations. Instead of dismissing the world as a shadowy place, beyond your control. A candle symbolizes the incandescence of wisdom, or the guiding light of love. It also creates an ambiance of peace. Another thing about altars is they're always changing. They're alive. The flowers die, the water evaporates incredibly quickly. The candles burn down. The incense turns into ash and often creates quite a mess. So an altar is also about care and repair and meeting the inevitable falling apart of things and change. Some other things on your personal altar Maybe images or quotes that inspire you. And one trick I learned and use in my home altar is um, when I was head cook or tenzo for residential intensives, we would have a little altar in the kitchen, and we would um, fill a bowl with uncooked rice, and that's actually what we put the incense in. So there's a little trick um, that's easier than finding other things. So I mentioned that the English word alter means something burning on high. What do we burn in Zen? Our sense of separateness. Our desire for control. Our resistance to following our vows and aspirations. All the hate, greed, clinging, aversion all the things that get in the way of being at ease in the world. Even this world that's on fire and at war. Because I keep remembering, we are about finding freedom within suffering, not finding freedom from suffering, right? I remember the first time I entered the Zendo at Austin Zen Center, which was probably almost 20 years ago. The altar there took up an entire wall and it contained a lot of ornate and foreign looking and beautiful objects. It was beautiful and also for some reason scary. I did not feel able to approach it. It, I felt very small compared to it. Deborah Sato says, An altar is fundamentally an unhidden truth. The temple altar is what catches the eye when you enter, while at the same time being that which beholds you. So you see it, it also greets you. A gaze with a clear view of the room. It is an orienting presence, like a compass. No matter where you are, entering, exiting, bowing, sitting, or offering. There is never a moment the altar is not still and present. And one wonderful thing about an altar, especially one at home, but also one in the zendo, is that during times of struggle, it offers an invitation take everything off of your altar, clean it, start over, which is also sort of a way of speaking about relationships. Finally, because I just wanted to offer a little bit of orientation towards altars before we actually work with them, um, Sojin Mel Weitzman, um a zen teacher was one of the first americans to train with shunru suzuki roshi and he founded berkeley zen center where he taught until his death in 2021 i was lucky to be taught by his student alan sanaki at the very time that alan was grieving the death of his teacher his lifelong teacher and alan is himself in his 70s um, and so he shared a lot of stories about his teacher, Sojin Mel Weitzman. Um, but the one that stuck with me um, is this. This was during my chaplaincy training. Um, um, Alan Sinaki was um, an ongoing teacher. He shared this wisdom from um, his teacher. I think he first told a story about watching um his teacher enter the zendo at berkeley zen center and how his teacher would go to the altar and um i'm not sure what words he used but what comes to my mind is sort of fuss with it you know just sort of look at it but also get in there and tweak things and i think that alan once asked him like why are you always messing with the altar and um sojan mel weitzman said Uh, by way of explanation don't treat anyone or anything like an object Mm -hmm. That was probably the biggest teaching i got from the two-year chaplaincy program is that sentence and so in the way that um sojin mel was approaching the altar um it was very intentionally relating with the altar and caring for each object like using both hands even though he only maybe needed to use one hand to pick up this you know little bowl or whatever but bringing all of himself the way you do to relationships or at least the way we aspire to um and so that quote again don't treat anyone or anything like an object which also is a way of saying again that um aspiration of of really practicing and feeling the sense of not not separate not two so ultimately as the title of this talk invites us alters train us how to treat ourselves with care with intention each other and the world With care and attention and also the knowledge that things will get messy. The flowers will die, the incense will burn away and leave a heap of dust. And we will necessarily need to come and bow and take time to carefully clean it up and restore the altar. So that's the end of the talk portion of our time, but not the end of the Dharma activity. So um, I think that you have instructions, Marla, to carry on with um, Zoom folk. Is there anything else that you need from me?
0: Uh, no, I don't. Would you like for me to provide the suggestions for what
1: people do during this time? Yes. And our- You'll bring them oh. together. Right. So they'll have 15 minutes to work on their altar and then um, ish. And you can kind of just sculpt the times. Anyway, um, just everyone come back here um, at quarter of the hour. And so those of you online now will go tend to your altar um, or write about altars or contemplate um, any aspect of the talk. And then you'll gather to share um, online and then we'll all come together at quarter of. Yeah, is there someone else um, in the Cloud Zendo that wants to speak? You guys um, had the opportunity of the invitation to work on your own personal altar and then also share with someone else. Um, so, your experience was a little bit different than ours um, here in the Zendo, where we just took care of altars and there were lots of tiny, very full containers of water going about very slowly. Um, uh, What um, came up for you guys, what did you notice, what did you experience. Um, Rosemary.
0: Okay, Uh, well, um, so I was with Claudine and uh, we had a very interesting time because we couldn't unmute so we had a very we had a silent. uh, Mm -hmm. connection which was interesting because for a while we thought oh well you know we know we can't and. um, But then I, you know, my one of my altars is behind me so I got up and I took each little piece and I brought it up to the screen and I brought it back and then I, you know, so I was just showing her, you know, some of the um, things that I have. And, um, and then uh, she did the same. She picked, I think you picked your laptop up, (laughs) Claudine, because it was not as close and um and then her background was blurry so i had to say in the chat you know unblur your background so i can really see and then um it was just and i said to her in the chat you know this is very intimate without our voices that was just it was different it was different and for me um really intimate and i don't know if we had been talking if claudine would not have picked up her. Every little rock that she had painted a little word on, like in her beautiful French, maybe day or something like this. I didn't get all of them, but you know, we probably would have been chatting. I mean, about important things, but it was just different. That's all I wanted to say. It was just different and really intimate. So thank you, Marla, for not (laughs) not allowing us to.
1: and uh, Claudine and then we'll come back to the Zendo yeah
0: it it was funny because it was very intimate uh, moment for me too with Rosemary and I had the feeling we were not able to talk and hardly able to see what the other one was showing but in fact the space between us was intimate and a long a long uh, time uh, preserved space because we know us for a long time only on screen, but I, I, it was a very sacred connection for me. So that was my altar here, not hers, not mine, but the space between us.
1: So coming back to the um, zendo for a moment, um, kind of any last thoughts, and and also um, you know I want to welcome in. Sometimes we have resistance to the you know fussiness, the sort of grandmotheriness of um, taking such care of things that are kind of like it already has water in it. And so it's also okay to you know it's wonderful to work with all of that, um, even one's resistance. yeah Lindsay. i've only been to a few times um and i
0: i looked at the calendar today and i i wanted to come today and i i did have some resistance i think i
1: don't have any previous history with alters or experience i was like oh you know what what might i get about the, the out of this but um what might i learn but i i knew it was an opportunity opportunity to learn even if not about altars specifically but just you know, every time i come here um and now my mind is wide open to all of the potential uses. I I think I had an aversion to ritualistic Mm -hmm. things, um, and and I thought maybe I'm just not a very ritualistic person, but I think as human beings, we all are to to Mm -hmm. a certain extent. So it's just about finding a piece that I connect with. Um, Thank you, Lindsay. Um, Time-wise, we need to, um, oh, Joel has his hand up, but I don't actually see him. Oh, here he is. OK, <laughs> Joel, you can finish this up.
2: Well, uh, OK, I'm not muted. Good. Um, Marla and I, um, uh, I, I talked about things I would put on my altar if I had one, and then I talked about my resistance and what it is that uh, I, I mentioned something that I saw online the other day that people sometimes go to libraries just for information or to check out a book or something. But often, and I know this is true for me, people go to libraries as they would go to the zendō to go to a place that is orderly and obviously well cared for and where there's an atmosphere of devotion. Uh, And that I admire that so much and I crave that in my life. But this is my resistance that I am not really capable of creating that in my personal space. And so I don't feel that I have a space that I can put an altar in. I'm in my office right now. And um, I was saying to, I mean, other people have heard this before, but I was saying to Marla, you can't see the heaps of papers that uh, I generate every week. And that uh, I feel like I have to I have to reorient my entire life just to clean my desk off you know it's just, it's just the way my brain works and uh I do, that my resistance is um to just the just the thought that I have to reorient my life before I could before I could create a space that would be worthy of having an altar in it uh and um that's what that's about uh, I also know that I'm an adult man and that I can that I can things, uh, but that's not my default state. You know, that's not the default state of the of the registration of anxiety in my brain. You know, um, so anyway, that's what we talked about. Thank you. And 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 Marla had some great things to say uh, that that I'm leaving out. I'm sorry, Marla. <laughs>
0: I have the
1: same problem as Joel and I was thinking to do an altar outside in the garden. That's what uh, yeah. And I'm so glad um you know our practice is in the end it's really about what's what are we meeting inside of this very tiny cramped and also overly large space in our brains and um it's important to include you know some of us may be just naturally rich ritualistic and believe in fairies which i so love um i don't personally but um and i'm not sure trudi does anymore but um uh, but also that some of us aren't built that way and it brings up anxiety and it's an opportunity to practice. And so I love your idea, Anne, of like, okay, what's a middle way? There's the tidy altar that's like perfect. There's no altar. A middle way would be an altar that's outside that you know exactly is gonna get dirty. It's gonna get bird poop on it. It's gonna be in the world. And yet you will need to tend to it, but it's not gonna be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. So, um, Thank you so much for sharing your morning and playing with altars with me and I hope that you can carry some of this, including um, don't treat any, uh, any, anyone or anything like an object with you in your week. Thank you.